The thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have and enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyal Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Faith House Charismatic Chapel International, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Okay, come with me to the book of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become. All things are become. Okay, so if anyone be in Christ, are you in Christ? Who are you then? Who are you? There's life in the word of God spoken. Who are you? All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay, so we are still on our series, broadly captioned, discovering your identity in Christ. Identity crisis is one of the greatest crises a man can face in his life. It's always important. When you don't know your identity, you sell yourself cheap. When you don't know your identity, you are not able to fulfill and maximize your destiny. And that is why that is something that the New Testament, there's a lot of emphasis on who we are. There isn't so much emphasis on what we do in the New Testament as much as there is about who we are. Because you see, when you know who you are, it influences what you do. Are you with me? An understanding of who you are is what shapes what you do or what you don't do. And it's important that we appreciate the sense. So, if anyone being in Christ is a new creature, we establish the fact that God views every man on the planet in two lenses. One lens, when he puts it on, he sees men through Adam. And the other lens, when he puts it on, he sees men through Jesus Christ. And we find that in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For us in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Somebody say, as in Adam. Okay, so there are those who are in Adam. As in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So in Adam and in Christ. In Adam and in Christ. Somebody say, in Adam and in Christ. All of us were born in Adam. Everyone that is born of mortal men was born in Adam. And when we got born again, you are reborn into Christ. So your first birth is born into Adam. Your first birth, you are delivered into Adam. The second birth, you are delivered into Christ. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. We establish that when we talk about identity, we are not talking about what we do in the natural. Your identity, as we are seated here, a lot of you have different identities. Some of you are business people. That is one way you identify yourself. Some are doctors, some are accountants, some people are all kinds of things. That's one of your identities. Again, 
you also have a natural name that is Minister Law seated there, and we have Pastor Ray, we have Mr. Boafo there. That's also a certain form of identity. Again, we come from different families, we live at different places. All of these things can be seen as our identities. But when we talk about identity in Christ, it's a different thing altogether. And we establish that that is the most important because every other identity we hold in the flesh can pass away. If you are working as an MD, you may not be MD tomorrow. If you are you are a, a supervisor, you may not be a supervisor tomorrow. Even if you live in a certain place, you may not be there tomorrow. So it's important that we appreciate that this identity we are talking about is not things that has to do with the natural, but that which has to do with our supernatural identity in Christ. We establish in our first part what it means to be in Christ. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. God views us in Christ. But what does it mean to be in Christ? When we say somebody is in Christ, what does it mean? We said if somebody is in Christ, it means he has a new identity. A person in Christ has a new identity. In Christ Jesus, there's neither Greek or Jew, female or male, slave or free. All of us are one in Christ. Number two, we said to be in Christ means to be united with him. When you are in Christ, you are united with him. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Number three, we said to be in Christ is to share in this inheritance. When you are in Christ, we share in the inheritance of Christ. We also try to define who the new creation is. The New Testament was written in Greek, and so it's always important that every now and then we visit it. We may not directly quote the Greek, but we need to do justice to the interpretation of scripture. And the word new creation, new and creation put together, we can have this definition for it. It refers to an individual of a kind not seen before but brought into being by God. That is a new creation. He's never existed before. God just brought him into existence. An individual of a kind not seen before but brought into being by God. And one of the things that is very significant and sets that new creation apart is because he has never had a precedence and he never has a past. There is no past to the new creation. When you come into Christ, there is nothing like my past. Whoever you were in the past is not important. You were a drunkard in Christ, you are a new creature. You were a murderer in Christ, you are a new creature. You were involved in drugs. In Christ, you are a new creature. That's what the Bible says. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In this service, we want to take it a notch higher and look at the prophetic picture of the new creation. Somebody said prophetic picture of the new creation. You see, the new creation was long prophesied into manifestation before he came. You need to understand that it is not something that happened today. The new creation was prophesied long into existence before. Even before Jesus that, you know, the foundation of the new creation was Christ. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So Christ had to come and die so that through him, people could be made new creature. But before Christ was born, the prophecy of the new creature had long, long, long gone. Before he was conceived, before he was born, before he ever died, God has spoken in advance about the new creature. Is God an amazing, amazing God? His thoughts are deep. He plans long in advance. Look at Jeremiah 31 verse 31 to 34. The Bible says, behold, the days are coming. Somebody said, the days are here. 
her. At that time, the days they were prophesying, he said, I'm speaking to you, the time is coming. But that time, when Christ came, that time came. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 32. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. He says, but this covenant that I will make with them in the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put in their minds. I will put my law where? In their minds. And write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Under the previous covenant, the law was written and engraved in on stones. But this covenant is putting the law on our hearts. Verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Says the Lord, for I will forgive. Somebody say, I will forgive. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is a very significant mark of a new creature. This is one of the things that sets the new covenant apart from the old covenant. The old covenant, you see that God will be counting their sins. It's amazing that when they were walking in the wilderness, God told them, he said, this ten times you people have rebelled against me. How many of you have seen that before? In the book of Numbers or so, God counted their sins against them. But in the New Testament, he said, I will remember your sin no more. That's the new covenant. Now look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 34 to 37. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Verse 25. He says, And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Verse 26. He says, And I will give you a new heart. Somebody say a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will. Somebody say, I will. will. Now, you see, the new creation, the new covenant, most of the things, or all the things, are dependent on God. Praise God. Hallelujah. In fact, the new covenant principally depends on God. And that is where we have a difficulty. A lot of us have a difficulty because we have not learned to receive. Over the years, everything that has come our way, we have had to work hard for it. We have to work hard for it. You have to work hard to prosper. You have to work hard to pass school. You have to work... so. That, that working hard mentality, we also take it and bring it into Christ. So we have to work hard for salvation. We come to church and we think that we have to work hard for things. So when God says, I'm going to give you something, it's very difficult for the average man to accept. Under the Old Testament, they have to do a lot of things. But in the, the New Testament, the principal thing we ought to do is to believe. Somebody say believe. believe. Say believe. believe. Yeah. Believe. Believe. It's like... <laughs> It, it looks so cheap and because of that a lot of people have a difficulty. I had a difficulty at some point in time but no more. Praise God. Yeah, no more. No more. Is that if you look at verse 24 to verse 27, there is not a single thing that you will do or I will do. Verse 24, 27. Everything is there. I will. Look at that. Let's read it briefly. I will quickly. Verse 24. I will take you from among the nations. Do you see? Go to verse 25. I will. Did you see that? Verse 25, I will. Verse 26, I will. And then again, I will. Verse 27, I will. Everything is I will. It's about what God will do, not what you do. What God does. That is the basis of our relationship with him in the New Testament. Under the new covenant, 
the new covenant is a sweet covenant. You see, because God has taken upon himself to do so many things for us, we are able to walk in liberty and function in liberty. Under the Old Testament, they were under the bondage of sin. When they sin, they could not be free from it. So they perpetually live under the guilt and the yoke of sin. Not only did they not have a nature that could sin easily, but they were constantly reminded of their sins. But under the New Testament, he says, I'll remember it no more. Now look at 10 things that have become new about the new creation. He says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Somebody say, all things. things. Say, all things. All things have become new. But what are some of these things? We will just touch on 10 of those things. Today we'll do four, and then next week we'll look at the rest. All things have become new. What are the things that have become new? Number one is that a new covenant is in force. Somebody say, a new covenant is in force. Say, I'm under a new covenant. Yeah, the new creature is under a new covenant. We are not under the old covenant. The old covenant is different. And next year, God willing, when I begin to teach about the gospel of grace, I will be able to walk you through practically one step after the other and show you the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. Those of you who are aggressive students of a word, you already are familiar with some of them. But the old covenant is different. The gap between the old and the new, they are as wide as the ocean. Two different covenants. And the laws that function in one is different from the laws that function in another. You can't crisscross. For a long time, that is what we've been doing. We live, we operate here a little, we operate there a little. And we are not able to maximize our destinies. Praise God. But now we want to function under where we belong. Somebody say we are functioning under where we belong. Yeah. There is a covenant to which we belong. And the covenant we are under is the covenant of grace. It's the covenant of the new covenant. And we need to operate under it and maximize it. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 8, verse 6. He says, but now, somebody say but now. But now our high priest, who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. Our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. The old priesthood we are talking about, the high priest of the old priesthood has to do with Aaron. Aaron was a high priest of the old priesthood. The Levitical priesthood. And then Aaron was the head. Under this priesthood, Jesus is the head. For he is the one who mediates for us. Somebody say for us. A far what? Better covenant with God based on better promises. Somebody say, I have a better covenant. I have better promises. Yeah. Better promises. I just read to you some of the better promises. The fact that I will. Look at, did you see the promises? Those are fantastic promises. He said, I will forgive them their transgressions. I'll remember their sins and no more. Then he said, I will take you. I will cleanse you. I will put my spirit with you. Listen, I will come back to walk you through the better promises of the better covenant. Somebody say, better promises of the better covenant. It's a better covenant with better and superior promises. Better covenant. That's the covenant you are under. You see, nobody pray to God or beseech God or ask God to change the covenant. God gave them the old covenant and he himself. Look at Hebrews 8 verse 7 to 12. Hebrews 8, 7 to 12. If that first covenant had been without defect, there would have been no room for another or an attempt to institute another. This, this is God. 
if there was no, he didn't have any problem, why would you want to change a government that is giving you everything you need? Am I communicating here? Yeah. If the government served the people well, there is a pandemic. Donald Trump accepts that there is a genuine pandemic and then he goes all out to make sure his people are safe. He does not contradict scientists. They won't vote him out. Am I communicating here? Yeah. I know I'm speaking to a different audience altogether, but that's it. They won't vote him out. If the people really need, uh, what do you call it, uh, free SHS, and you give it to them, they want roads, you give it to them. They want jobs, you give it to them. COVID-19 comes, you give doctors allowances and you take care of them. They may not vote you out. Am I communicating here? Yeah. So, you see, you don't change a winning team. God took the initiative to change the old covenant. And he changed it because the faults were too many. He was not pleased with it. It was not his nature. Now, listen, as we walk along this path, you will come to see that when God created man, he did not start with the law. The man Abraham was not under any law. There was no law. It was during the era of Moses that the law came. When he started with them and there was no law, what were they operating under? I realized that grace has been God's number one principal way of relating with people. He's a gracious God. Even under the law, he told the man who was a custodian of the law, he said, I am a merciful God and gracious, plenteous in mercy. That's what he told uh, uh, Moses. The grace and the mercy of God is that when you learn to understand it, you maximize your life. You accomplish so much, you go places that flesh and blood cannot take you. That physical might cannot take you. I'm not communicating. You see, you have been living a life where everything that you have gotten has been coming to you on merit, merit, merit. So you are meritorious minded. You must merit it. We are not able to assess things without merit. When somebody does something for you freely, you see that your mind begins to trouble you. What does he want from me? Why? Because that's how we have been wired. Any good thing, any kind art we receive from him, the first thing we think about, what does he want from me? What does he want from me? And we brought it into our relationship with God. So that we think that we must always do something to get something back. Listen, under the covenant, God has done everything. All we need to do is to receive it by faith and celebrate him forever. That's why when you understand the new covenant, where you serve God with gratitude, you serve God with liberty. You serve God out of love. I don't give because uh, I will be cursed. There's no curse for me under the New Testament. Praise God. I give because there's so much God has already given to me. And he's still giving me. I'm not complicating here. That's not why I give. He's still giving me. He gave me. He said, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely unto me. He gave his son freely unto me for me to be saved, to be made a new creature. Again, he's still giving me everything. Life, health, vitality. I mean, God is a, an ever-giving God. He never stops giving. So how can you challenge such a person when you give to him? A man who has given and has given you. No matter how much you give, you can never come close to how much God has given you. So you don't, he doesn't need to threaten you with a curse. I hear sometimes the pastors are curse somebody. I just pity those pastors. Listen, you don't curse somebody God has blessed. Under the New Testament, God has blessed his people. You don't curse them. So that's it. He said, finding fault. That's it. However, he found fault with them, showing its inadequacy. When he says, behold, the days will come, says the Lord, when I will make and rectify a new covenant agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, he says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I grabbed them by the hand to help them and relieve them and to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not abide in my agreement with uh, my agreement with them and so I redrew my favor and disregarded them says the Lord. Praise God. 
So that was a covenant that when you did what God didn't like, he just reduced something. But under this covenant, there is nothing you do that really can stop God from being God. That's what the Bible says. He is kind to the one who is thankful and he is kind to the one who is not thankful. Because he's decided to be himself. He will not allow their doings to change him. So he sent his only son to come and do all that you could ever do and you could never do. To do all of that. And when he finished, he credited it to your account. So that now, when he looks at you, he does not look at you according to what you have done, but he looks at you according to what his son has done. Am I complicating at all? So when he sees you, he does not see you as lawyer silence. He sees you in Christ. He does not see you as Mr. Boafu. He sees you in Christ. And whatever Christ represents before him, that's what you represent before him. When God looks at you, he sees you perfectly like Christ. Am I complicating here? That's why he can be pleased with you. You are not pleased with yourself. Sometimes you do things that sometimes you are worried. And even in that state, God is still pleased with you. He's pleased with you because he's pleased in his son. I just hope somebody is understanding what I'm saying. You see, religion would deny you access to what I'm talking about. Because it did. It did for a long time in my whole life and ministry. I read the scripture, but I read them with religious lenses. But when I decided to take up the religious lenses, I realized that God has finished the work. Praise God. And I need to work in the reality of it. And that is the school I'm introducing you to. And number two, you are in a new kingdom. Somebody say a new kingdom. So first you are under a new covenant. Number two, you are in a new kingdom. You are in a new kingdom. The things I'm teaching you these seasons are very prophetic. They are things that God is going to use to herald us into a new phase as a church. And you need to really, really open up and receive. Very strategic changes are going to happen in the coming year. My pastors, they are aware because we've discussed a bit and pieces of them, but that's it. New things. Somebody say new things. Uh-huh. Colossians 1, 12 to 13. Colossians. <laughs> I say always. Somebody say always. always. Always doing what? Thanking the Father. This is one of the things you see in Apostle Paul's letters. And Apostle Paul is the apostle, they call him the apostle of grace. He's the one who actually had deep insight, full understanding into the realities of the new man in Christ. And he says, one of the things you see repeatedly in his letters is the frequency at which he thanked God. He thanked God consistently. And most of the time, he was thanking God for what is made available unto us. He says, thanking the Father because he has enabled us. Somebody say, enabled us. To share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Verse 13. He says, for he has rescued us. Not that he will rescue you. He has rescued you already. Somebody say, I'm rescued. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you. Transferred you where? Transferred you where? Now, think a moment. If you are moved from Ghana and you are moved, you work with a multinational company, they transfer you from Kumasi, Ghana to Canada, Toronto, Canada. The environment changes. Your salary changes. The people you associate with changes. Am I communicating here? Everything changes. But you see, you can, you can be in Canada and if your mind is not renewed, you'll be thinking like a Ghanaian. you go to shop and before you pick up a suit, you'll convert it into Ghana cities. Praise God. Because that, that's, you see, when you get born again, let me tell you today, when you get born again, there's one thing that is most important about everything else. Mental renewal. The renewal of your mind. 
there is the greatest thing that a new a Christian can pursue all his life is mental renewal. Because where your mind goes, there your life goes. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think God hates you, if you think that God is cursed you, if you think that God is against you, I'm telling you, you will live a life that will never be happy, a life that you will never, you will never rise up to become the kind of person you have become. You are in a new kingdom. Somebody say a new kingdom. So a new kingdom also demands a new way of life. It demands a new way of thinking. In this kingdom, scarcity is not our portion. Just like when you move from Kumasi to Canada, things change around you. The same way in this kingdom, it's not, we are not talking about changing earthly cities. We are talking about moving from the terrestrial to the celestial. We are talking about moving from earthly places to heavenly places. We are talking about sharing inheritance with Christ. That's what we are talking about. That's why you cannot think poverty. Because you are not in a kingdom of poverty. You cannot think sickness because sickness is not in this kingdom. The Bible said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were made whole. We were healed completely. Praise God. You belong to a new family. Somebody say a new family. That's number three. You belong to a new family. The moment you get born again, you become a member of God's family. John 1 12, he says, But as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the children of God. What things are new for the new creature? One, he's under a new covenant. Two, he belongs to a new kingdom. Three, he belongs to a new family. Praise God. The Bible says in Romans 8 14 to 12, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. Abba father in Greek simply means daddy. God is your daddy. Somebody say God is my daddy. God is my daddy. Yeah, you need to understand. And he is not a better daddy to Jesus than he is to you. The same way Jesus will call him my father, you can also call him my father. Hebrews 2, 10 to 11, for it is an act worthy of God and fitting to the divine nature that he, for whose sake and by whom all things have their existence in bringing many sons into glory, should make the pioneer of their faith perfect, should bring to maturity the human experience necessary to be perfectly equipped for his office as high priest through suffering. Verse 11, I want us to read it together. He said, for both he who sanctifies, making men holy, and those who are sanctified, all have, all have what? Now, the one who sanctified us is Christ. And he says, the one who sanctified us, and the one who is sanctified, they all have one father. So, God does, will not listen to Jesus more than he will listen to you. If Jesus prayed and had answers, when you pray, God answers. If Jesus needed anything and God supplied, if you need anything, God will supply. Somebody say a better amen. Yeah. The Bible said he is not ashamed. Look at verse 11 in the New Living Translation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Have the same what? That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So who are you to Jesus? brothers and sisters. Whatever Jesus could access from the Father. Don't come to prayer with beggarly requests. No. Some of the way we pray, you are a joker. You are a joker. Go to Hebrews. He said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to heaven in the time of need. Come boldly. Why? Because he's your father. You don't go to your father unless your father is a wicked father. 
the child that shall shout on you. But if you have a pleasant father, one, he's a good father, two, he's able father, three, he has what you need. Even in the natural, if your father has what you need, when you go to him, he won't shout at you. It is when, when he's broke that when you go and ask for something, he gets angry. But this, your heavenly father can never be broke and he's ever kind and he's ever merciful. That's the kind of father we have. That's the kind of father we have. And then you have a new relationship. Somebody's a new relationship. You have a new relationship. You have a new relationship. You have a new relationship. A new relationship that is open. It's a relationship based on grace, not on the law. It's a relationship based on grace and not the works of the law. The Bible says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under grace and not under the law. It's a new relationship. It's a relationship that is rooted on the finished works of Christ and not the works we do by ourselves. Can somebody say an amen? amen? That is where you belong now. This is the reality of your new status. So when we say you are a new creature, you have to be thinking of the many things that are new. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There are certain important things you need to know have become new. One of them is that you are under a new covenant. Somebody say under a new covenant. With better terms, with better promises. The second one is that you are in a new kingdom. The third one, you have a family, a loving family. And then number four, you have a new relationship. Somebody say a new relationship. Your relationship with God now is not dependent on you, it's dependent on him. I like what the Bible says, faithful is he who has begun a good work, who also will finish it. Never you think that you will not finish something. You are God's project and he never abandons his projects. Am I communicating here? He who began a good work will also finish it. If God has begun this project called whatever, Ope, called Victor, called Lawrence, whatever project God has begun, he has enough resources, he's more than able, he has enough workers to finish it. I see God finish his work in your life. I see God perfect his work in your life. In the name of Jesus, your glorious destiny will be a reality. You will fulfill your destiny. You will become all God will have you become. In the name of Jesus, nothing that is due you in this kingdom shall be denied you. You are moving from glory to glory, so it shall be in your life. Pastor Afaka has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. To get a copy of this message and other messages as well as books by Pastor Afaka, please call 540 or email us at faithhousechapel at yahoo.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afaka on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our celebration services. Our first service, 6.30 a.m to 8 a.m. Our second service 8.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. At our church auditorium on the top floor of Nanama Ejakumar Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. God richly bless you.